0: Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over, it's time to
1: live. No matter if I want it to be rich, but I'm poor in my mind at an unconscious identity level, no matter what I do, I will remain poor. Your environment, is your beliefs, and your identity objectified. People actually get in the thoughts. A thought might be, I don't have any money. And then they hold on to that thought and perpetuate it, never realizing that they are the thinker of the thought. And being the thinker of that thought, they can choose any thought they want, but they get caught in that thought over and over and over again. And there's speakers out there that'll say things like, you got to work until your eyeballs bleed. Well, people do stuff like that and they still don't have any money. Why? Because they're trying to change the world from the outside in instead of the inside out.
0: What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features hypnotist and neuro-linguistic programming master, Jim Fortin. You can find him on Facebook at Jim Fortin. Fortin. I wanted to have Jim on the show today for a couple of reasons. The first is that I'm endlessly fascinated with the technique of neuro-linguistic programming because of its speed and effectiveness in changing human behavior. And I've always wanted to interview a hypnotist. I met Jim through a mutual friend and former guest of the show, Drew Canoli. Drew said, Rob, you got to get this guy on your show. I promise you he's going to change lives. So I did. And he is. So who is Jim? Jim is a certified master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming and a certified master hypnotist. He uses advanced hypnotic language patterns and brain-based behavioral science to help people perform at significantly higher levels. He has shared the stage with Tony Robbins, Dr. Phil, George Foreman, Robert Kiyosaki, and hundreds of others. Jim founded his company Mind Authority in 2001, and he's privately coached and mentored some of the highest performing people in the business of politics and global affairs. In this conversation we talk about everything from why deciding what to do to accomplish your goals should not be where you start, how reprogramming your identity will 10x the change that you're after, and we also went deep into the woo-woo world of universal consciousness and formless intelligence. Be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the socials, and remember to tag me and Jim, and let us know what you thought of it. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Jim Fortin. Jim, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you for the invite. You're welcome. I am super excited that you're here, and I have heard so much about you. I feel like I'm talking to Houdini, so (laughs) thank you for making the time. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I'd like to start off, if I could, with a little bit of background. Can you give us the story or give us the kinds of things maybe that you did with your parents, say, from ages five to ten That sort of typifies what growing up in a small
1: Texas farm town was like. Basically, what you just said encapsulates how I grew up. I grew up in a small Texas farm town, and I did those things. I was up at five o'clock in the morning beating the cattle off to school, come back at three o'clock, working with the cattle, working on the farm, uh, the whole shebang. I wish there was more to it, but I lived in a town that had one stoplight, and it was literally rural Texas living. And ironically I lived I lived in New York City years later, so it was a complete contrast but And I told people how I grew up, and they didn 't believe it but yeah it was it was working on the farm as a kid. I tell you what man it's so um
0: it's so interesting because I grew up in New York, so at least you have a reference or a a frame to understand how I grew up but i have no, like the closest I came to understanding what you went through is like to watch the Beverly
1: Hillbillies. We weren't that bad. Or gun smoke. Or gun smoke. (laughs) Maybe some gun smoke, but not the Beverly Hillbillies. (laughs) But I remember when I moved to Manhattan, and I was interviewing for jobs back then, and this was a lot of years ago, and an interview that I had, I was on Fifth Avenue, and a lady interviewing me said, what do you think about the apartment building you living in has more people than the town you grew up in? God, that's kind of And the crazy. contrast is like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it, but that's how I grew up. Yeah, without the shotguns and granny. Without the shotguns and granny. Okay, um, a
0: couple of other questions about your background. What did you think that you were going to be when you were in, say, high
1: school? Lawyer. Mm, interesting. Chief of Staff to the President of the United States. Something, literally. I have a political background. I was a, a political science major. I've worked for a U.S. Senator, a congressman, a governor, a former U.S. President after college. And for many years, I thought that's where my path was going to go—is working at a a very very high level for a U.S. president. Now we're close to that today. My path took a different a different turn, but all the time growing up and even through college, that's where I thought I would go. So I guess the the question then becomes: How does a small town farm boy wind up as a Wall Street hypnotist? Long story, very very short uh, for time. I, uh, I I was trading forex currency. Uh, back in the early, early 90s. And I was greedy. I was a kid. I had some money and I was making a lot of money trading Forex. And not being very smart, I had all of my money in Forex. One night, the bottom dropped out of the British pound sterling, lost everything I had. I, I wasn't smart enough to have money diversified or any of that back then. I was just making money, a kid and greedy. Lost everything overnight, about a half million bucks and i said how do people come back from this and then i got into motivational personal development and then i got into nlp neurolinguistic programming then i got into hypnosis i moved to new york city took a corporate job on 5th avenue i hated it high paying job hated it hated it i quit saw a course for hypnosis went learned it the people there hired me and i spent several years there so a long story that's how i ended up there
0: it's crazy how our path goes you know okay so you mentioned nlp what is the difference between I'll give you three, hypnosis, NLP, and what Tony Robbins has now renamed since his separation with Bandler and Grindler as neuroassociative conditioning.
1: Okay, Um, well, hypnosis is ancient. I mean, it's believed that the ancient Egyptians used hypnosis thousands of years ago for healing and health and and wellness. Um, NLP was created, as you know, back in the 70s by Bandler and Grinder. And then what Tony Robbins did is actually, Tony Robbins, as I understand, went to a NLP program taught by my NLP mentor, Peggy Dean, started learning NLP. It wasn't fast enough for him. He quit, broke off, learned it himself, did his own thing, and called it NAC, Neural Associative Conditioning. Uh, the formal NLP can be very complex. Uh, Bandler and Grinder got very, very in-depth. I think Tony simplified a lot of it and made it more for everyday application as opposed to long-term therapeutic change. Just my my two cents on it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So I think a good jumping off
0: point to talk about the kind of work you do perhaps would be to get a little woo-woo and talk about how to better manifest things on our lives. So in what way does knowing that we are a cosmic being affect the strategy that we use to manifest the things we want in our lives?
1: That's a huge question you ask. And you go woo-woo. So we both know, we both know James Wedmore and Drew Canole, who I've, I've coached. And they both go very woo-woo as well. And that's the position that I play from, is that I, you, know, you hear the spiritualist saying, like Wayne Dyer, we're a spiritual being having a human experience. I say we're a cosmic being and having a human experience. And if that's the case, then what abilities would a cosmic being have? A cosmic being would be part of the universe. And that being the case, uh, would be would be uh, part of the quantum universe as well, you know, atoms and neutrons and electrons and all of this, what abilities would that give me as a cosmic, cosmic ability? So where I work from is consciousness, which actually research has demonstrated, it's called a double-slit experiment, that something that ancient wisdom has said for thousands of years is that everything is mental in the universe. It's been commercialized as the last, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago as, as a secret. On the Kabbalion, ancient wisdom, it's thousands of years old, said the first cosmic law is everything is mental. So then modern research has demonstrated, it's called double-slit experiment, that uh, literally the physical world bends to our consciousness and our expectations. So where I work from is what intention can I put out, what intention can I hold, how clear of a channel can I stay in terms of my what I'm wanting to manifest, and do not get attached to the outcome. When you say that you want to
0: hold an intention for a long period of time, can you give me an example of what that could
1: look like? Let me give you the best example. Um, when I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, back in the mid-90s, it was, when, I, when I say holding an intention, it's as if I know something is already done. Now, to not endorse any religion, but in the Bible, they say pray as if it's already done. When I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and this story will be very helpful, so it's a couple of minutes long, but it'll be very helpful to people. When I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, I went with the intention. I told my best friend, I'm going to either work at Coca-Cola or I'm going to work at the Carter Presidential Center. And I was 100% certain that one of those two places would happen before I even moved there. I just knew it in my bones. Moved to Atlanta, Georgia. very next day, uh, I used to work out a lot. I joined the gym. I walked into a gym. uh, Yeah, I joined the gym. I walking into a restaurant across the street because I wanted to, I had, I had to have a job. So I walked in and at two o'clock I applied and the manager looked at my application and he said, who hired you at Dave & Buster's back in Texas? And I said, Chuck Karathammer. He said, if Chuck will hire you, I will hire you. That's all he said. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What? And notice I moved from a town of millions of people to another town of millions of people. And the manager in that restaurant, my prior manager was the best man in his wedding. What's the chances of that happening, right? So I worked in this restaurant. I met a lady. I met two ladies there. One lady actually she asked me what I was doing, wedding tables. I told her, she goes, Well, I know somebody at Coke. Come to find out, she was the executive assistant to the chairman of the board of of Coca Cola, Roberto Gosueda. And I met another lady who said, You should meet my boss, who was Max Cleland, Secretary of State. He said, Jim, if Zell doesn't run for governor, I'm going to run for governor, and I need a driver. You want to drive me around while I'm, I'm running for governor? And I said I wanted to work at the Carter Presidential Center. He said, I've known Jimmy for 20 years. Let me make a call. Monday, a couple of days later, I was interviewing at the Carter Presidential Center and got on there. And as I said, when I moved, I knew I'd go to one or two places and I had absolute clear intention as to one of those places I'd be at. And it happened.
0: Well, I'll, uh, I'll give you a little bit more woo-woo than that. I think the restaurant that you're referring to was Chops. And I live in Atlanta and I'm looking down at Chops as we speak
1: actually it was right before chops and i did work at chops and that's how i got to new york city was pe- waiting people uh, waiting on people at chops yeah that place has been a staple for a lot of years crazy how about that so i want to talk to you a little bit about some things that
0: perhaps have informed your decisions how has landmark forum if it has informed your training and maybe uh, if you know anything about it you can explain how Landmark sort of either informed your decision to do what you do, affected
1: your decision, and what is Landmark? I can speak to that a little bit. Landmark Forum, obviously, is a personal development um, forum. They've been around for years. I think they came from LifeSpring or Est, which was created by uh, Werner Earhart back in the in the 70s, I believe. They're not a rah-rah organization, not like you'd go to a seminar and get all rah rah up and all that. I went to... There's a buddy of mine. His name is Rich Sheffrin. He's an internet marketer, been around for a lot of years. Yep, I know him. Yeah, yeah. Rich and I have known each other for a long time. And he had a weekend called Transformational Weekend, where he had a top-line landmark forum speaker running the event. Somebody that had been around for a lot of years. So it's really hard for me. Maybe you can even help here. Even though I was there for a weekend, the approach is... More along the lines of we're meaning-making machines, what kind of meanings are we putting on life, um, how do we organize our realities, which is some way, some, it's somewhat related to NLP and, and subjective reality and subjective experience. My take on Landmark, number one, everybody that's gone, and I've been for, again, this weekend, and I don't know, no one's ever asked me that question, so I don't have a succinct answer for it. Um, I would say it's a, a very, very helpful personal development tool organization, forum, whatever you might want to call it?
0: You know, I don't know anything about Landmark. I've never been, but it felt like it might have been on the periphery of the kind of work you do. So I wanted to just, while it was in my my brain, I just wanted to put it out there to see if you had any thoughts on it. But
1: well, wait, let, wait, let me add, though, to, to, okay, to, to answer that, to give you that periphery that you're mentioning. If you look at a lot of the work that Werner Earhart did, it was based on shamanism. So a lot of that work is filtered into Est, Lifespring, and the Landmark Forum. Mm. So that's where you're seeing the parallels because I have a really, really unique background in that I have a really extensive NLP background. I've got an extensive hypnosis background, and then I've got 22 years working with a shaman. Uh, You've been seeing, I think, Drew. You know Drew pretty well, Drew Canole. I do. And have you noticed, maybe you have or you haven't, you know, Drew's really big on social media. And I've I've coached and mentored Drew for a lot of years, but if you notice, he's gotten pretty quiet the last year or so. Mm -hmm. I have. He's gone inside. He's gone inside and he's working on evolving um, a higher part of him, and that's what's happening to him right now which is what I've been doing for a lot of years. But anyway, go ahead. He did a
0: presentation at a mastermind uh, that I was in a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it was it was the most unique presentation I've ever seen. He got up in front of the room. He started talking maybe for two or three minutes. And then he walked, there was only about 25 of us. And then he walked up and down the aisles. And he looked for people that looked like they had a question. And he walked right over to me and said, you got a question, what, what can I help you with? And they were like, how did you know? And he went to it and he went all the way like, you know, a complete left side of the room. And he said, okay, over here, you've got one. And he was channeling questions in the weirdest freaking way I've ever seen. And it was at, you know, at that point, we just started laughing because it was really, really funny. And it wound up being the most impactful part of the, uh, of the weekend. So I, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. It sounds really cool. What I wanted to ask you was, can you explain how we get trapped in our thoughts and how every thought is really an illusion.
1: Yeah. So let's make a long story very short again here is that when we grow up, first off, uh, the entire species is trapped in thoughts. If you really want to just go off the deep end, let's go. The entire species is trapped human beings are living today in belief systems that are thousands of years old and archaic that were invented by humans that humans still live in belief systems invented thousands of years ago let me make that a little more concrete do you know and to show you how humans do that do you know why the space shuttle is the size that it is no Okay. Uh, the space shuttle is the size that it is because when they were building it or the engineering or transportation, they had to be able to put it on a train to move it across the country. Now, train tracks, do you know why train tracks are the width that they are? Nope. Ancient Roman times. So... Train tracks are the width that they are based upon chariot spacing or wheels or whatever, as I understand from ancient Roman times. So the space shuttle today, thousands of years later, was built to conform to something that's thousands of years old. That's how we trap ourselves as a species. And as a species, we're still living from dogma and ideas that were given to humans by humans 2,000 years ago that we still live under, not even knowing today that we're living under something that was given to us. Next, we individualize it. When we're born, for example, your name is Rob. Have you ever said, you know what, I don't want this name? You took that name without question and you've lived with that name your entire lifetime. So that's what humans do. So we pass our limitations on from generation to generation and because they're passed on and accepted, we don't even know their limitations. So that's how it happens collectively and individually, and then we live the limitation not even knowing we're living the limitation. That's why working with a shaman, his whole approach is to separate us and our higher function of mind and being from what we've learned as little kids and what we've been indoctrinated with and what we learned as biological beings very early on. Then, when you look at thoughts, every thought you have, even a thought we had even seven minutes ago or three or five or ten is gone. It doesn't exist. So. People actually get in the thoughts, and then what they do, a thought might be, I don't have any money. And then they hold on to that that thought and perpetuate it, never and making it very real and making their whole life revolve around that, never realizing that they are the thinker of the thought. And being the thinker of that thought, they can choose any thought that they want, but they get caught in that thought over and over and over again.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a couple of words that um, are thrown around this world that I'm not sure that I totally understand. And uh, while we're on definitions, before we get into the meat, can you explain what
1: universal consciousness is slash formless intelligence? I can only, I can only explain from my interpretation because I'm not going to go above my pay grade. We all think we know much more than what we do. Um, I would say that the universe, as I understand, is like a cosmic soup, which is what Deepak Chopra used to call it 20 years ago. Scientists would call it the quantum field. What we do know is there is consciousness in the universe because without consciousness, your body would be a dead bag of skin. Literally. I mean, we're electrons, neutrons, and protons. But if you look at it, for example, when somebody has a heart attack and they pull out the paddles, why do they defibrillate somebody? To shock them back. Okay, but why would you actually shock them with energy? I mean, with paddles, like you'd plug into a oh, wall. Oh, you mean why, why yeah. use the energy? Yeah.
0: Our body is electricity, so we've got to, we got to tap into the electricity, turn the circuit back on.
1: Exactly. Everything, as I've been taught, is electricity, is energy. And everything is magnetism, hertz, mathematics, and physics, even related to our physical bodies. Um, things like the planet has what's called, uh, I believe it's called the Schulman resonance, which is the heartbeat of the planet. And what scientists have discovered is that when we go into actually whole brain function and like what they would call a um, hypnosis and a a nice state of hypnosis, our brain actually is also at the same hertz as the Shulman resonance, which means we're finally in tune with Mother Earth. So for me to explain what it is, I have no idea other than I can say that I, I just understand it as consciousness, cosmic soup, quantum field, there is a thinking thing. That pervades or a thinking substance that pervades the entire universe that's my best mangled No that uh, description. was actually that was
0: actually really good you I was I was following along with you completely all right, so let's let's get out of the stratosphere and let's move on to the planet that we're on right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tony Robbins has said that the strongest need in the human psyche is our need to remain consistent with our identity. You've said we are going to become what our identity says we're going to become. So let's start with a basic definition. What is identity?
1: So you've done your homework, obviously. So identity is literally the essence of who or what we are, as simple as that. Because every single person can have whatever identity they've been conditioned to have. And I also want to say, though, to go back to the stratosphere for a second, I believe part of our identity is karmic. For example, I do not believe that Mother Teresa came to the planet to be a real estate millionaire. She came to do what she did that early on because people will say things like Mozart. I mean, Mozart came and he was already composing music at three years old, which then actually helped form his identity as a composer. So to keep it succinct, let's go back. Our identity, plain and simple, is who or what we are. Now, let me go back to Tony Robbins for a second. There's a lot of research been done on this. A lot of the motivators don't know about it, uh, done at the uh, University of Texas back in the 70s. And this will explain a lot to a lot of people, is that we do want to stay consistent with our identity, and we will seek people out in circumstances that confirm our identity, but also... People want to keep the identity, which is why it's so hard for people to change, because people, and this is hardwired in the brain, people want predictability, and there's been research done on this, is that we so much enjoy predictability that we will stay in bad situations because we can unconsciously, well, it's all unconscious, but we can predict what's going to happen. This is why women stay in bad relationships they're beat, because they can predict what's going to happen, and they believe, scientists believe that we want that predictability. It's a vestige of our evolution that years ago we wouldn't leave the cave and go hunt if we couldn't have a certain predictability about not being eaten by a tiger and being able to get back to the cave. So predictability precedes even the identity is, the predictability is hardwired in the brain and that affects why we actually want to keep our identities. All right, so let's dig into identities a little
0: bit. Because I have, have a couple of questions that I need to get clear in my head. The goal for us, as I understand your work, is for us to start from our identity. So let's, let's take an example. Let's take that. Let's take somebody who's been making a hundred grand a year and, you know, they just saw the secret and they want to make a million bucks a year. And so they say, I'm going to make a million bucks. I'm going to make a million bucks, right? They will it. They will it. They will it. How does that person, Take that identity that clearly they don't have because it, we'll use the example of a woman. You can see that she has only made a hundred thousand, so she clearly has the identity of somebody making a hundred thousand. Yep. Where does she get the new identity of somebody who makes a million dollars? And is the only way for her to get it to borrow it from somebody that perhaps she knows that makes a million dollars and sort of says, well, you know, she does this and she does that. And so I'm just going to adopt that identity.
1: First things first, I used to be the national spokesperson for an organization called the Learning Annex. And I used to be the spokesperson for what they called their Speakers Academy. I used to speak at uh, their large events and Donald Trump was one of the headliners. Um, one day, I, and I, I never stayed and listened to other speakers, but one day I heard Trump and he said, you know what, in 1992, I was $2.9 billion in debt. I was walking down the street, I saw a homeless person. They had more money than I did because I had $2.9 billion in personal debt. Yet a few, a few years later, I don't know, five years later, whatever, he's back to being in the black again as a billionaire. So how does somebody go from $2.9 billion in the red back to the black again? So his external environment changed, which means the world around him, but his internal world, he always stayed a billionaire. So we have to understand that part first. Yep. What I, What I tell people is, for example, you might have heard me say this before, is I didn't buy any cigarettes today and I've not smoked any cigarettes. How come? Because you're not a smoker. Right, right. So we only do what we are. And it's very hard to do what we're not in our mind, in our identity. So if in our identity we are not wealthy, people will go out all day long and there are speakers out there that'll say things like, you've got to work until your eyeballs bleed. Well, people do stuff like that and they still don't have any money why? Because they're trying to change the world from the outside in instead of the inside out. Instead of working from identity and then letting it happen and letting that matriculate to what we call the logical level, the level of identity to belief, the capabilities to, to behavior to environment, most people try to change their environment, which is money or body or whatever, and that's not consistent with the identity, and then they fail. And then many times, actually, on top of that, people create the belief that I failed so many times, I want to believe it but I don't really believe it. Now, what we do also is, let's say our identity, we grew up poor, and we're poor in our identity. But you go to a motivational event, and the motivational speaker says, write down your goals, and everybody writes down goals for money. However, that's left brain, the analytical part of the brain, saying, yeah, I think I can have that. But at the identity level, just like me not being a smoker, I would hack up a lung if I tried to smoke today because I'm not a smoker. So, no matter if I wanted to be rich, but I'm poor in my mind, at an unconscious identity level, no matter what I do, I will remain poor. And then people will say, well how do I know what's what's at my unconscious level? Easy, look at your environment, because your environment is your beliefs and your identity objectified. So I think that gets most of your question, I might still have a little left hanging, I'm not sure. Well
0: that, that definitely laid the foundation for it, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get a strategy. Got it, okay. Like, okay, I'll give you a real example so one of the funnels of income I have is a network marketing business right and so we've got a team and one of the gals that's on the team you know is making a hundred thousand dollars a year now and she wants to go to a million so I know that her identity is at a hundred thousand a year because she's making a hundred thousand a year right how do I coach her to change the identity from a hundred
1: thousand a year person to a million dollar a year person? Great question. Okay. So I'm making some notes here. So I capture all this. So first things first, I would ask is what would be the identity of somebody who makes a million a year? First place I'd go. Okay. Here's where I get confused. Is that
0: modeling the person? In other words, looking at somebody who's making a million bucks a year and going, this is the kind of person they are. This is the character that they have, in other words, they're a committed person, they're a responsible person, and so you write those things down and
1: say, I need to be a committed person and a responsible person? You're on the right track, yeah. Let's, let's, let's break that down a little further, yes. So I'd look at, okay, what are the characteristics of a person who would make that kind of money? Um, one of my coaches always said, and I love the phrase, and he was a landmark coach, and he said, uh, success is not about doing, success is about characteristics. Characteristics are ways of being. And then I look at, okay, what ways, what I need to be, what kind of being? And I I always ask myself a, a master question, and that is, what am I committed to and who do I have to be to make it happen? Because I tell people that being is a genesis of everything that we create. So we have to look at how we're being first, where what everyone else does is they look at what they're doing, and they're starting at the wrong end. Now, let's actually unpack that even even farther. So if you look at somebody that makes a million or 10 million a year, uh, or people like Drew that make what they make. And, and you look at that. What I want to know is what ways are they being and identifying as that creates actually the beliefs, the capabilities and the behavior to get the outcome that they want. Now let's unpack that even, even further. I think it's further. Yeah. Further as opposed to farther. So let's unpack that. So in our culture, what I find, and I'm, I'm just doing a, a bit of observation on this, is we live in an instantaneous culture. You look at you know fast food, you look at Amazon Prime now, we get things in two hours, right? We live in a world where everybody wants everything right away. Most people actually want things and they won't be the kind of person to do the kind of work to get the outcome that they want. But let's take committed, for example, because commitment is the bridge between where you are and where you want to go. So, you can say all day long, I'm going to do all these things to grow my MLM business. And I've done a lot of MLM coaching, so I get it. However, if you're missing that component and way of being of being committed, then no matter what you think, left brain, that I can do it and I see somebody on stage doing it, you still will not be able to sustain and follow through unless you're working from identity characteristics that actually would be discipline, would be self-integrity, would be responsibility and commitment. You must have those foundational, Every everyone that I know that's really, and I coach a lot of really successful people, they all actually live from being these kinds of characteristics. Okay, so how do you accurately identify
0: what those characteristics are? So in other words, I can look at somebody who's making a million bucks a year, and I can say, these are the characteristics I think they possess, but I don't know. Sometimes you look at things on the outside, and it's, you know, it's not what it actually appears. So do you just take a stab at it and say, these are what I think the characteristics are?
1: When I'm working with people one-to-one in coaching, I do what's called a value hierarchy, and I run through their values. We eat Every day, we, we go through our days working from our unconscious values, not even knowing that we're, we're working from our unconscious values. So I'll do a value hierarchy with people to determine what their unconscious values are, and I'll see how that plays out. I'm just gonna be I'm gonna I'm gonna spitball this. What I do know to to come back to your question, what I do know is that if a person's not committed and they don't have that that concept of committedness, which I grew up without that as well, so I had to learn how to be committed. If a person's not committed to their outcomes, then there's no way they're gonna get there anyway. So I did I did say, you know, committed, self-integral, and responsible a bit earlier. But we have to be those things. There's no way. You you can't tell me somebody's gonna make a million bucks in MLM and they're not committed to the outcome. Okay.
0: So let's talk a little bit about where the identity comes from. I'm assuming that the identity is actually quite unconscious, and I'm assuming that we watch it subliminally, uh, even even overtly
1: from our parents and the people around us. Is that right? Absolutely. You actually pop out of the womb like an audio and video camera. That's why actually kids that have parents that are Republicans generally become Republicans and parents that Kids that have parents that are Democrats become Democrats and Catholic. Used to live in New York City. You lived in New York. The Orthodox Jewish. You've never seen a, an eight-year-old boy say, "You know, Dad, I've been thinking about this Jewish stuff. That's ah, not for me. I want to be Catholic." <laughs> he learned it. Chance. Not a chance. Not. He's he learned it exactly. We learn. We learn the identity. We become the icon, the unconscious identity. We perpetuate it and live from it, not even knowing that we're living from it.
0: All right. Let's take another example. Let's take a guy who's overweight, right? He's in his 50s, he's got the belly going on, and he's just not feeling great about himself. And he's like, that's it, enough. I want to make a change. He clearly has an identity of a guy that's middle aged with a belly. Yep. But he says, you know what? I don't want that identity anymore. Now I want to switch, and I'm going to change my identity to become an Stop athlete.
1: Stop there. Stop there. He didn't say, he didn't say that. The, what he says is I don't—no He, he didn't, no one ever says and talks about identity. He says, I just want to change my life. Therefore, I want to change my behavior, which is higher up on the, on the logical level, because we go from identity, beliefs, capabilities, behavior, to environment. So he doesn't want to be overweight anymore, and he says he's going to change his life by changing his behavior, but he nine times out of ten fails because the behavior is not consistent with the identity. Keep on going, and I'll fill in the blanks as we go.
0: No, you're, you're 100% right. That's how it happened. Let me give you the, the, the frame of reference where, where okay. I got it from. So years ago, I've got, uh, I got uh, Tony Robbins' planner, right? And in his planner, um, one of the things in his planner, his RPM system, is you have to sort of come up with different areas of your life. And one of them is fitness, right? So there's a section in there to put identity, which is, I think he's basically doing the work that you're talking about. So who's the identity of this area of your life? So a lot of you know people in fitness, they'll put down my identity as an athlete. And so the question that I had really was, if somebody does the work, listens to this podcast, identifies that they don't have the identity that they need, and they say, okay, I'm gonna switch it. Now, let's say that they do make that leap, and they say, I'm gonna switch it, and I'm gonna change the identity. Would a good example be for somebody to say, who identifies that this is a problem, I'm gonna change my identity to an athlete. And if that would be a good example, their brain is gonna probably say, bullshit, you're not. You're a middle-aged guy with a belly. And how do you get over fighting that I'm a
1: middle-aged guy with a belly and I'm an athlete? We also have to look at habits, okay? We actually, this has been research demonstrated, but it's obvious we just look at our own behavior. We work on autopilot. Research has demonstrated that up to 95% of all behaviors are unconsciously determined by the brain. We think we're making decisions about things and we're not. Our brain has already made that decision for us. So what happens is we want to stay in our old habits because the reptilian part of the brain, which is the oldest part of the brain, believes that our habits are survival mechanisms. The reptilian part of the brain, its job is fight or flight and to keep us alive. So all of our habits, that's why it's so hard for people to change their habits, is because they try to actually prefrontal cortex, thinking part of the brain, I want to get into shape, and I'm not in the habit of working out, but I want to get in the habit of working out, and analytical, I want to fit my size 32 waist jeans again. But the reptilian part of the brain, the part of the brain responsible for habits says, no way, we're not changing anything because guess what? The habits you have are all survival habits and you're going to keep those habits. Then what happens, people get into the uh, the argument, go to the gym, don't go to the gym, go to the gym, don't go to the gym. Then what happens is the reptilian part of the brain kicks in and whatever urges it gives us to sustain a habit, those urges overrule the analytical part of the mind, we fall right back in the old habits again. So to go back to the beginning of your question, what a person has to do is say, what identity would somebody have who has what I want? Now, what are those ways of being? And then what we have to start doing, because all brain learning is learned through repetition. That's how we learn. What we have to start doing is not forcing, but allowing and talking to ourselves, hear, see, and feel the new identity over and over and over again to program in a new identity. Obviously, repetition is the mother of skill here, right? So how often do you do that? For most people, where they want to work from is just a repetition of just several times a day. Closing your eyes, going in. You can use self hypnosis. You can not use self hypnosis, but going inside, closing your eyes. And this is the formula that I tell people to work from. Everyone, you might want to write this down. The formula that I tell people to work from is: Who would I be? How would I feel? And what would I do if I already had blank? So, to your example, who would I be? How would I feel and what would I do if I already was in excellent shape? You take that, you make a mental movie out of that. We've all heard about visualization and you play it over and over and over in your mind again. Now, the big mistake that everyone makes is notice that that formula that I just gave you, it gives you the final cut outcome of a movie, so to speak, a movie of your life. Here's a mistake that everyone makes. This is why you see all these people, at, you see it at MLM events. The big speaker gets up on stage, everybody pulls out their piece of paper, where they're going to be a year from now. And they're going to have their BMW and this, that, and blah, 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 blah. And they put all this stuff on paper, but a year later, they're, st- they're back where they, where they started from. They're, they're, they haven't made any progress. The reason why is that most people try to work from where they are to where they want to be. They try to work from where they are to the vision or the goal, instead of working from the vision or the goal. We have. To work from the vision or the goal. The reason people never get to the vision or the goal is because they're not that in their identity. And if they were, they'd already have it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So they try to work from where they are to get to where they're not. And they're not there because they don't have that identity. That's why you have to use the formula I gave you. Who would I be? How would I feel? And what would I do if I, operative word, already had blank. When you create that and you start working from that place in your mind, now you're being the kind of person you need to be to achieve the outcome vision, goal, whatever it is. All right, so a couple of questions
0: on that. So you gave us this magic formula, and I could see how it is because I could see that you very cleverly put in all of this into one digestible, easy sentence for people to uh, to use. The be part is the identity that we've been talking about. The do part is what people do do first, which is list out all the things that they need to do. So those two are super clear for me. Where it gets muddy, and I don't know if I'm alone on this, but where it gets muddy is the feelings part. So how should someone approach stepping into the feelings part of this? I understand the visualization, but for some reason or another, the feeling part seems a little
1: muddy to me. Okay. So let's say that you wanted to make a million dollars a year. What Where most people work from is, crap, I don't have it. And I want it, I want it, I want it, I don't have it. And then if you go listen to Abraham Hicks, Abraham Hicks says, everything is created by vibration. Actually, think and grow rich should not be called think and grow rich. It should be called feel and grow rich. Thinking is left brain, feeling is right brain. Thinking is fifth dimension Feeling is sixth dimension. We attract through feelings, which are magnetics, which then plays into the cosmic soup that I talked about earlier. So people say, I want a million dollars, but I don't have it. So I feel bad that I don't have it. And according to Abraham Hicks, the more you feel that you don't have something, the more that you don't have. That's why it's vital. Whatever you want to create, how would I feel? How would I feel if I already had that in my possession? So I I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean you you have you have feelings, right? I do have feelings and I'm
0: <laughs> I'm super I'm I'm actually a really emotional guy with a lot of feelings, but for whatever the reason is, when I sit down and visualize, I personally have a little bit of trouble stepping into the feeling of it and I think it's probably as I'm thinking this through, I think it's probably because I default more to the doing so as as the moment i begin to step into feeling my brain triggers doing i think that's
1: probably the problem and, and that may be and, and something that i i tell people i've done this for a lot of years is that everybody's going to process differently and everybody's going to have their own experience and so many speakers say well this is the way to do it and i tell people also if you ta- you take what i the foundation i give you and if you use your sense and you want to tweak something in it that you think might work for the way you process information better, then do it. Completely do it. But let me add one more thing there. A fundamental place you have to go back to is what would be the identity. Many years ago, when I worked out five days a week, there was this guy at the gym and I, I thought he was a trainer. And I approached him and I asked him if he'd train me because he was in like phenomenal shape and I wanted to be in that shape. And he said, no, dude, because I'm in pharmaceutical sales and I travel a lot. And he said, when people go to, Long story very short, Because when people go to dinner, we take people out, we all go to steak houses, and everybody has the steaks, and the baked potatoes, and the red wine. I have skinless chicken breast, I have rice, I have veggies, and I have water. And then he said to me something I've always remembered. He said, that's just who I am. And I recognized that's who he is. That's what gets him the outcome that he wants. And those people that are eating the steak and the red meat and all that kind of stuff Look at them when they're in their 50s. They're the ones overweight, wanting to lose the weight, but that's who they are.
0: Okay, if you want to adopt slash model his identity, the
1: pharmaceutical rep, what would you do to do that? Well, first thing I'd do is ask him, me, I'd ask him, okay, so what do you think about your body? What do you think about health? What do you think about wellness? What things do you believe? I'd even ask him how long he's been this way to see how he even put this identity together. You know, if he says, I've done this all my entire life, I'd say, well, you know, what calls that? Where did you, when did you start that? Did you start in high school, middle school? I want to gather information about ways of being. And for most of you listening, if that's not as easy or you can't do that, what I would do is ask, well, tell me what you do. And he did tell me that he ate chicken breast and water and veggies. And then I might say, well, you know what? I don't like that crap. I want steak and red meat and mashed potatoes. And then in that moment, I've got to come to a decision point. If I want the outcomes that he's, he's getting, I've got to do what he's doing what ways would I need to be? And if I could pick at least one way, it would be committed. I'd be committed to the outcome. Okay, now how do I become committed? And then an aspect of commitment is also discipline, which most people are not very disciplined, and there's been a lot of research on that. So that's where I would start looking, listening right now.
0: Okay, so you're, you're, looking, at, you're looking at the person that embodies or has what you want. You're doing the best to identify the characteristics And then you go through your work of reprogramming,
1: for lack of a better word. That's the great word. I am a master hypnotist, and the easiest way to reprogram yourself is using self-hypnosis. Hypnosis Um, hypnosis is endorsed by Harvard, Stanford, Yale, Columbia, major medical institutes, the Mayo Clinic, um, the American Psychological, American Psychiatric Associations. Either find a hypnotherapist in your area to teach you self-hypnosis or learn self-hypnosis, Um, which I talk about on my site a little bit, uh, which I'll tell you guys about in a bit. But but that is the easiest way, research demonstrated, to reprogram your unconscious mind. Okay. I will definitely do that. I am somebody who takes...
0: Here's my identity talking. I am somebody who takes (laughs) action on shit. Okay. So what is the playbook for habituating a new habit and making it unconscious so that it requires very little RAM or cognitive. In other, in other words, we don't have to sit there and think about the new habit. How do you automate it? How do you habituate it? How do you
1: hardwire it so it's automatic? You're great. You're asking a lot of really good questions. The way that we habituate it is that we take a habit, and the, the thing is this. Uh, here's, here's the catch 22, is that we're not in the habit of doing habits, therefore we forget to get in the habit of creating a habit. <laughs> therefore we stay in our old habits, right? Yeah. Yeah. What we do is we pick something, and I have a habit program where I teach people this, is that what we want to do is we want to create new habits, pick one thing. One thing only that you want to be a new habit. And then what you do is you're going to forget the one thing in about 30 minutes. Why? Because you're not in the habit of thinking about it. Get an app. You can get on whatever Android or Apple you use. Just search for habit tracker, something along those lines. I use habit list, habitlist.com. I've got an app. Then what you do is you use a habit tracker. You put your habit in the tracker and the habit actually alerts you and tracks your habit. Then what you want to do, there's also one called streaks, which means we go through we go through streaks of being successful, which reinforces the habit of wanting to be successful. So we habituate like everything. We learn new habits through repetition, but again, we forget them. So use an app to keep you on track.
0: I love it. That's that's simple. That's simple and super easy. Okay. So for people that, you know, we 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 skimmed the surface. We went from we went from universal consciousness to habits. So we've <laughs> yeah. We've covered every damn thing under the sun in the time that we had to do this. But for the people that want to go a little bit deeper into this world, and they, they you know they're digging what you're doing, and they want to you know connect with you more.
1: What what's, what, what's, what's the uh, the gateway drug to Jim Fortin? Uh, g- JimFortin.com. Well, that's pretty easy. I've got a program there they can download. It's about an hour and twenty minutes, I think, maybe an hour and a half at the most, and it's called the Master Thought Formula. And in that program, I literally... It's not a teaser. You obviously have to opt in for it because we're all all marketers, but it's not a teaser where you get to the end and you've got to do something else or buy something. It's the entire program. Because the place I work from is, let me see how much value I can create in the world and how many people I can help. Download the Habit Thought Formula and watch it over and over and over again. It's pretty simple. And the whole the whole program is about you're not your thoughts, how to separate yourself from your thoughts, how to manage your thoughts, and how to actually stop your thoughts from keeping you trapped. And then I might go much deeper into how our thoughts are created, where we get them from, and also how to actually work from not a different level of thinking, but a higher level of thinking. That's at jimfortin.com. You'll see it in the opt-in box. Just opt in. And I think my tech guy has it. We can just download the program.
0: Okay, awesome. I will uh, make sure that we link all that up in the show notes so people get it. We'll put it out into our email as well, brother. This has been a very, very interesting conversation, and I could you're you're the kind of guy that you know I could spend the weekend with and just keep talking and talking, and you know, throw a couple of bottles of wine on it, and we'll be levitating like like Drew Canole is now. So. Um, <laughs> Thank you Thank you so much for taking the time with us. I really do appreciate it.
1: I certainly, certainly appreciate the invite. Hopefully we'll reach a lot of people with this and get some people to thinking about new ways to think and different ways they can think. Thank you again and let me know how I can be of service, okay? Awesome.